What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and I'm joined today by my intrepid co-host, Curtis, as always. Uh, those of you who are interested, you can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA, or you can also email us at GloryUJPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we always love to hear from you guys and are always taking questions for the mailbag show, so if something pops into your mind, feel free to contact us anytime. We've already had a couple questions come our way, so if you've got one, send it in anytime. I also want to quickly mention that we have a poll running right now on our Twitter account regarding how Georgia fans feel about our chances in our matchup against the Irish. So definitely check out our Twitter feed there, at Glory underscore UGA, and make your voice heard in that poll. We'd also love for you guys, uh, if you have a little chance there, to reply to the post and give us your more detailed thoughts on the game. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Glory UGA Podcast. Uh, we would really appreciate it if you would like the page on Facebook and kind of help us spread the word about the show as the season approaches. You can also check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, Dog Sports Radio. Um, all right, let's get on to the main event today here. I'm excited about today's show because we have, uh, for you guys, the next edition of our Scouting the Enemy series. And up today is our Week 2 opponent, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, my brain, honestly, does not possess the capacity to adequately relate to everyone out there just how freaking excited I, I am for this game. Like, I am beyond excited. I don't have the words to describe. I really don't. Uh, I was the guy calling every hotel in South Bend every single day starting last June, asking them if they had opening uh, if they had open booking for the 2017 football season. Until finally, the answer was yes. I got my hotel stuff booked up. Very expensive, but it's gonna be totally worth it. Um, I mean, they literally got to the point where they were expecting my call every day. So, needless to t- needless to say, I am freaking pumped about this game. But that's neither here nor there. Let- let's get into actually previewing this team that we're gonna be facing in South Bend come early September. Uh, when you look at the record from last year on the surface with their 4-8 and record, this is a team that a lot of people are, are discounting coming into the 2017 season. And this is a, lot, a, a team that a lot of Georgia fans are flat out just expecting to beat in South Bend based largely on what was, I mean, it was, it truly was. It was a disastrous 2016 season for the Irish. and So a lot of Georgia fans are expecting to win this game. Uh, but when you look at it a little more closely at this program and start to kind of peel back the layers from their results from the previous two seasons, I think you kind of begin to somewhat see a little bit of a different story. Let's rewind real quick here for a second back to the 2015 season, just two short seasons ago. In 2015, lest we forget, Notre Dame finished the regular season 10-2 and with a two-point loss at Clemson in a torrential downpour to a team that went on to play for the national title that was at Clemson, by the way, and they had another two-point loss, this time a last-second loss. It was a, a, another road loss to a Stanford team that went on to win the Rose Bowl that season. So in 2015, Notre Dame was literally four points away from the undefeated regular season and a berth in the college football playoff. Well, we all know what happened last year. Fast forward to, to uh, 2016, with a lot of those same players on the roster, sure, there were some losses, like linebacker Jalen Smith, who was a stud, uh, got injured in that uh, bowl game, though. A wide receiver, Will Fuller, so some of those guys were gone. But still, they had a lot of the same players on the roster, including their quarterback. But regardless, uh, after a double overtime loss to Texas to open the season last year, they go and lose three of their first four en route to a very disappointing 4-8 and eight season. So, Kurt, with all that said, who is this Notre Dame program? What can we expect in 2017? Will they be more like the championship-caliber 2015 version of themselves? 
or the four and eight version we saw last year? Which way do you lean coming into 2017? Um, I have it leaning more towards the uh, four and eight team. And the thing is, you know, I go back to the 2015 season. If you look at it, a lot of their wins came against programs that were still trying to come up. And you saw that. That's what happened in 2016. Texas was, you know, they weren't even that good last year, but they still beat Notre Dame. Um, and there were t- games like that where teams are starting to improve. USC got better. Um, Notre Dame beat them two years ago when they were, you know, uh, the whole Steve Sarkeesian thing was going on. I mean, there's a lot of things going on at that time. Yeah, and, um, you mentioned Texas. They beat Texas in 2015 when they went 10-2. and They beat Texas 38-3 to at Notre Dame. And then on the road last year to open the season, lose in double overtime to Texas. So Texas definitely got better. You're right. USC got better. Uh, that, that, that's a fair point. So you're leaning more towards 4-8. and eight. Yeah, I think some of these teams that they put on their schedule for, you know, for so long, USC kind of beat them in the early 2000s, and, you know, it changed a little bit with USC went down. And um, that happened to most of those other teams. Like, also look at Pittsburgh in 2015. That was, uh, if I, um, that coach's first year. And, yeah. you know, that's really changed within. Yeah, Pat Narduzzi's uh, first year. Yeah, and then you, you get your second year. You had a little bit better year last year. Yeah, I mean, if you look at a 2015 team, uh, they had wins at Virginia, Georgia Tech, uh, UMass, which is probably the worst team on their schedule that year, Navy, of course, Temple, Pitt, Wake Forest, BC, which they won by three. Uh, so those are their wins. And, of course, like I said, they lost at Clemson by two. Remember that game, the torrential downpour? Like, that game shouldn't even have been played. And it was weird. Like, two years in a row, they had that, that downpour at Clemson two years ago. And then last year, remember that NC State game last year? During, yeah. during the hurricane when we were playing at South Carolina? That was nuts. They had two two years in a row, same thing. Uh, and they lose at Stanford, last second field goal, 38-36, which was basically a playing game for them, at least, uh, in terms of getting into the college football playoff. They win that game at Stanford. They're in the college football playoff in 2015. But it wasn't to be in the 2016. You, we know exactly what happened then. Uh, if you look at that 2016 schedule, you're right. Some of those teams definitely got better. Texas was marginally better. And see, the thing is, they play tougher teams, too, when you look at it. I mean, they play Michigan State. They play well, Michigan State Texas. was terrible last year. Yeah, but still. It was but they still Michigan. lost that game, even though Michigan State was terrible. Yeah, and then, you know, you have to – yes, but they had a lot of home games. They, played, they lost Virginia Tech at home. That they were losing. They lost quite a few, including the Virginia Tech. Yeah, Virginia Tech they lost at home. They lost a Duke at home by a field goal. Um, let's see who else did they lose at home to. They lost, another, they lost a Stanford at home by a touchdown, 17-10. Beat Miami, beat Mark Rick at home. I uh, lost the Navy in Jacksonville. I actually, I was sitting at a sports bar in Lisbon, Kentucky, waiting for our game, watching that one. I just could not believe what I was seeing. The Navy was just not even close to as good as Notre Dame, but somehow they still ended up winning that game. I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I might lean a little bit toward. I, this sounds cliche. Look, I know this is going to be cliche, and it's easy to say and make excuses for bad teams. But I really don't think that 2016 Notre Dame team last season. I don't think they were really as bad as their record indicated. I know you can say about a lot of teams. And the fact is they lost eight games. But I, if you look at the talent, I think they were better than four and eight. Seven well, the, I, I think I, well, I think one of the biggest things is coaching-wise, and that's not going to really change all that much. I mean, offensively, I mean, look at the game against NC State. They had Malik Zaire out there who could have come out there and run more dual threat. But they right. can't. They, they can't. Oh Deshaun Kaiser, and they're trying to throw it in that trench down for and NC State just all, what they do—they went to their running quarterback, and he ran all over them. And I mean, it's it's things like that that show Brian Kelly is who he is. He's stubborn and won't change. I could not. I kept sitting there. I was I was thinking I was at a Wild Wings Cafe in Columbia, South Carolina, because our game got moved to Sunday. So we were just my wife and I were just chilling in sports bars all day, just watching games. 
And I, we were both sitting there saying, oh my god, why will you not put in Link Zaire? You're much more, I mean, I know Kaiser can run a little bit, but much more mobile quarterback in Malik Zaire. You have him on the roster, use him. But they, for whatever reason, wouldn't. And I think they, they threw the ball, they threw the ball 54 times in that game. And like the worst downpour, I mean, it was a hurricane. It was hurricane conditions. They threw the ball 54. Four, I'm, I'll tell you that they had 54 yards passing through the ball 26 times in, in weather that you couldn't even hold a football. They were 9 to 26 for 54 yards, and they kept lining up and throwing the ball and throwing the ball and throwing the ball. And they wouldn't bring in a guy that, that would make things happen. And, and NC State did. NC State brought their mobile quarterback in, uh, and they were able to actually do a couple of things. And the guy's name was Jalen McClendon. And um, he got he did enough for him on the ground to, to push him ahead. I think he had like 56 yards rushing. So, yeah, I think coaching is a big part there. It's fair to say. Especially defensively. You know, uh, Van Gorder, I think that's where the biggest question marks have come down to is he hadn't done well recruiting-wise the last couple of years defensively. And so even that with was the, really starting to show. Even with a new defense coordinator, you still think they're going to be feeling the effects of Van Gorder and what he left behind? I mean, yeah, look at our offense. <sighs> yeah, fair point. Fair point. But, but look at it this way. And when I'm looking at this team, and I kind of peel back the layers a little bit from last year, yes, they lost eight games. But seven of those eight losses were by a touchdown or less. So they weren't getting blown out for the eight losses. So half of them were by three points or less. And additionally, on top of that, they also outgained their opponents on the season by by 464 yards total. If you take up all the yards they gained all season, all the yards they gave up defensively, and uh, did the math there, they were actually plus 465 on the season. They only play FBS teams. The worst thing they played last year was Nevada, and they beat them 39-10. So, and also I think when you watch, when I watch them play, they at least to me, when I watch them, when I see them with my own eyes, they just look like a better, like a, te- a, a team that should be better than 4-8. In fact, like when I was watching the tape in preparation for this show over the past couple weeks, I mean, I broke down the Stanford game, the Syracuse game, and the Texas game. And I continually came back to the same question. How in the world is this team 4-8? and eight? It's just, It was hard for me to reconcile the team and talent I saw on tape with what their final record is. You know? I mean, does that make I mean, sense at all? the same thing, though. I mean, look what they got out of Deshaun Kaiser last year compared to, you know, a second-round draft. You didn't get that type of, that type of leadership and uh, numbers from him last year. No, you did not get um, second-round draft pick production out of Deshaun Kaiser last year. There's no doubt. I mean, he... Threw for under 3,000 yards. The dude never threw for 3,000 yards in college. Uh, he was a shade under 2,900 yards last year. Only 58% completion percentage. Uh, 26 touchdowns through nine picks. So, I mean, he was solid, but you're right. For a guy that's going to be drafted in the second round uh, going to the Browns, uh, I don't know, man. Like, they didn't get that production out of him. And Brian Kelly and Brian Kelly has kind of had that history. When has he ever had a good quarterback at Notre Dame? Like, who has he actually developed at Notre Dame? Um, you know, that's a big thing, and he really hasn't. And people talk about Brandon Wimbush, who's going to be the quarterback this year. Uh, he's never started a game, but people are really high on, at least Notre Dame fans, are high on what he's able to do. They were high on Everett Golston, and then look what happened Exactly. So that, that, that's my point. You're like, what has Brian Kelly ever done with a quarterback on his roster at Notre Dame to make you think that Brandon Wimbush, a guy who's never started a game, is going to all of a sudden be a superstar overnight by week two of his first year as a starter? Maybe he will be. I don't know. But Brian Kelly has not done anything to – to this point in his career at Notre Dame, to suggest that he's a quarterback whisperer. I just haven't seen it. So, I mean, that's another fair point, too. For me, honestly, though, when trying to answer the question, are they more like the 2015 version of themselves or the 4-8 version we saw last year? 
I think there's a middle ground. Yeah, exactly. That's what I think. The answer probably lies somewhere in the middle in terms of what you can expect in 2017. They lost some key pieces off that 2015 team. We mentioned Jalen Smith, who was a stud linebacker until he got the injury. I don't know if he'll ever be the same player. Will Fuller was a great receiver for them. C.J. Brosice was a good running back. Those guys are gone. They've also lost both Malik Zaire and Deshaun Kaiser quarterback now. But there's still talent on this team. Equinemius St. Brown at wide receiver is downright scary out there. He freaking scares the hell out of me. Josh Adams is a good running back. Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson are two senior offensive linemen that are going to be first-round draft picks after next season if you listen to all the draft analysts out there. So there's talent on this team. So I think they're better than 4-8, and eight, but I don't think they're a 10-2 a, a potential playoff contender. Do you? Yeah, I think they're 8-4, 7-5. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a fair place to put them right now coming into the season. We'll see. Um, thing, it Maybe things – like last year, one of the reasons they were 4-8 is everything went against them. Like all, all the balances went against them. And, and some of it was certainly coaching. It was poor play. But they also had a lot of things to just – it didn't. the ball just didn't bounce their way. Sometimes that happens. Uh, they didn't force a lot of turnovers. They were minus 4 in turnover margin. I think they only forced like 10 – very few turnovers all year. I'll have the number here in a second. Let me pull this up. Overall turnovers uh, – Oh, actually, I don't have that. Do I have that? Turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. They, Yeah, they forced 10 turnovers on the season, which is just not going to get it done. It's just not going to get it done at all. So things didn't go the way. Maybe things go the way a little bit this year. We'll see. But it's hard to imagine being anywhere near that 10 or 11 win mark. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, it, but honestly, it's really tough to project right now with this team because they're, they're going to be working on a new quarterback. That's always hard to project. You can think you know, but we don't know until we actually get out there on the field. And you also have to factor in they have new offensive and defense coordinators coming this season. Working with a lot of the same talent, but there's still new, new schemes on both sides of the ball, new coaches to work with. So it's a really tough team to project right now. But uh, let's go ahead and try our best, and let's look specifically at this offense. They bring in Chip Long from Memphis as their new offensive coordinator. So their offense's numbers from last season maybe aren't as relevant as they otherwise would be. But I, I think they can still give us a glimpse as to the talent this team is bringing back and where their strengths and weaknesses might be. So here are just a couple of quick numbers from that Notre Dame 2016 offense. Total offense, they rank 62nd nationally with uh, 417 yards a game on average. Uh, they ran the, rushing the ball. They were 80th nationally with an average of 163 yards a game. Throwing the football with Deshaun Kaiser, they were 48th nationally, so just inside the top 50 with an average of 254 yards a game. Scoring offense, 53rd nationally, uh, and 31 points a game. So those base numbers there look like a, a decent team, right? You know, right there, kind of around the middle middle ground there uh, nationally. But if you look at it a little deeper, I think it reveals a little bit more what this team is capable of and where their strengths might lie. If you look at uh, – I like some of these advanced stats. You guys listen to the show for a while. You know I, I like these numbers, and they give you much more uh, closer look at what this team actually is able to do and who they are. There's a stack called adjusted line yards, and basically this helps you predict how many rushing yards the offensive line itself is responsible for producing. Basically, the adjusted line yards tells you how good is your offensive line at run blocking. And uh, in this stat last year, adjusted line yards, they were 18th nationally. Uh, Their power success rate, which what this means is uh, on third or fourth down with two two or less yards to go, how often are you converting? They were 16th nationally. They converted 76% of the time when it was third or fourth down with two or less yards to go. So, again, showing you these numbers, often their offensive line is pretty damn good. Uh, stuff rate, which shows you uh, how many uh, tackles for loss are they surrendering. They were 30th nationally giving up uh, uh, tackles for loss on 16% of their plays. Adjusted sack rate, though, here's where they start to struggle. They're really good at run blocking. 
but they were 95th nationally when it comes to adjusted sack rate. Uh, turnover margin, I mentioned they were minus four, which is 93rd nationally, and they were 104th nationally last year in terms of t- turnovers forced. It was actually 14 turnovers that they forced. So, uh, I mean, kind of a mixed bag there. So with those numbers in mind, Kurt, with a new quarterback, a new coordinator, all those numbers in mind, what are your expectations for the Notre Dame offense in 2017? Um, you're going to see them. I, they're honestly going to try to be more pass-happy. You know, Adams, you, he's more of a question mark right now. Never rushed for over 1,000 yards, yeah. things like that. So they're really going to be depending on trying to, you know, with their spread attack more or less. What is your take on Josh Adams? When you watch this guy play, does, does, he, does he a guy that scares you? Not at all. I, I don't think so either. And maybe he'll turn on this year. We'll see. But when, when I've watched this guy play, again, I, I wrote down three full games and watched them for hours, hours, and hours. Uh, but Josh Times is a good running back. Don't get me wrong. He's not he's not a scrub. He's not trash. But he's not dynamic. Uh, he's not overly fast. He's not overly quick. He doesn't have great bursts. He doesn't run with great power. He's good. He's serviceable. Uh, he's He's solid. But he's not a guy that I think is dynamic at that position. At least he hasn't shown me that to this point. So I think you're right. I think you're going to see much more of a pass-happy scheme. And I think if you look back to what Chip Long, the new offense coordinator, has done in his career, if you go back to Memphis, he likes to air the ball out. Last year at Memphis, they were 14th nationally in passing offense, but only 84th nationally running the football. So this is going to probably be, if you want to take what he did at Memphis and translate it here to Notre Dame, Probably going to be a much more pass-happy offense this season. But I don't know if that really fits their personnel. Because I, I know Josh Adams. I don't think he's great. I think he's solid, but not great. But don't you think that offensive line is pretty salty? Yeah. I mean, they got two guys. Mike McGlinchey, 6'8", 315 at left tackle. And right next to him at left guard, Quentin Nelson. The entire left side there, Quentin Nelson, 6'5", 330 on the left side. Those guys are more than likely going to be first round draft picks this season. That's that's what they could have been borderline first round draft picks this past season. They both decided to come back. On top of it, they have four out of five of their offensive linemen returning. So while you might not have a, a super dynamic running back, you do have a pretty dynamic offensive line there that could pave the way for some success on the ground. But the, my issue with them watching them is while these guys individually they looked apart and they are they they have moments where they can be dominant. But it's very consistent. They don't always play up to that talent level. So while you would think with that line they should be able to impose their will running the football, I, I just don't know that's going to be the case on a consistent basis. And see, I think it's one of those things, too, that you look at it and they're more of a finesse team, especially those offensive linemen. They're more closer to a finesse who can do it against a lot of the different sized opponents. But when they come against some of these teams that have more style defenses with bigger defense alignment and also faster linebackers, they have trouble. They definitely have trouble protecting the passers, no doubt. If you look back at those numbers from last year, just a sack rate, they were almost hundred in the in the hundred range, right around there. So I think that's a weakness of theirs. But they can get some movement up front. It's just they don't always do it. Like you think most of the teams they play on their schedule, outside of like maybe the Stanfords and the USCs, things like that. I mean, even those teams, other than Stanford, USC's not known for defense. They just outscore everyone. That's true. But you would think. I guess my point is, you think they would dominate a lot of teams they play up front, like Nevada and Syracuse and be able to move those guys with line of scrimmage. But that just, it doesn't happen consistently. So they should be good. And maybe they'll be a lot better this year. Now the guys are all come back to be seniors, four to five linemen returning, maybe. Um, but I just, I guess that remains to be seen for me. I will say, however, for this team, they are loaded at the skill positions. I mean, Josh, I know we talked about Josh Adams at running back, but out wide in terms of wide receivers and their tight ends, 
They are freaking loaded. Equinemius St. Brown, he might be the best wide receiver we play all year. I mean, can you think off the top of your head a wide receiver that we're going to play this year is better than him? I mean, Antonio Callaway's good, but he's not as good as Equinemius St. Brown. He doesn't have the upside. I think Javon Moore maybe. Javon Moore from Missouri. Yeah, he's he's got the he's got a similar body type to a degree. Uh, but I still I would take Equinemius St. Brown. I mean, I watched him play in that Syracuse game. It, within the first like five minutes of the game, he had a like I think it was like a seventy nine yard touchdown reception and then like a sixty seven yard touchdown reception. I mean, and just just not even close. I mean, he's just a beast out there. He's six five. Now he's kind of lanky, two oh four. But he's got that height. He's got that length. He's got the speed. He's very fluid, too. He reminds me a lot of the guy that we have committed right now from the 2019 class, Jaden Hazelwood, if you guys are familiar with him. A lot of similarities in their game. Just their body type, what they look like, what they can do, the length they bring to the table. And St. Brown last year um, had 58 receptions for 961 yards, just a hair under 1,000 yards receiving. But maybe even more impressive, 16.6 yards per catch. He's a big play threat to take it to the house every single play and then you got uh, a couple other guys who are poised to break out this year chase claypool who's a sophomore miles Boykin, who's a redshirt sophomore they're also over six three there's probably gonna be their top three receivers all over six three and you got a guy in the slot cj sanders who's a really good weapon in the slot 5'8, 185 your typical um size there working the slot he had 24 catches for just a hair under 300 yards last year so he's also a weapon they use some of the running game every now and then but here's a guy that i don't think people are paying attention to right now because he didn't play last year that's Alizé Mack. He's the former number one tight end in the country coming out of high school. He missed all of last year due to academic sus- suspension. He went to Bishop Gorman High School in Nevada, that powerhouse out there in Nevada. Uh, he is the the new age hybrid res- type receiving tight end. He reminds me a lot. And I, I know this is like the worst example ever because he sucks, uh, or he did suck. But he his game reminds me a lot of Aaron Hernandez. Right, it does. Like that kind of tight end, that's who Alizé Mack reminds me of. He's that type of player. And he didn't play all last year because of academic suspension. They do take their academic seriously there, so bravo to Notre Dame. But he'll be back this year. And if you watch what this guy's done and what he, what his ability level is, he's a guy that is a match-up nightmare. Could give us headaches all game long. So if you match him up, take him take take down the middle of the field, you got St. Brown, Claypool, Boykin on the outside. Man, that's... That's a pretty tough road to hoe there. So they got plenty of weapons outside. And for me, if you look at the combination of being loaded at skill positions and having a veteran and talented offensive line, that's usually a pretty good recipe for success. But kind of the thing we haven't really mentioned too much here, the quarterback. How much do you really expect from Brandon Wimbush in his first year as a starter? Not as much to begin the season, especially, I mean, you start against, what, Temple? Temple, yeah. Um, and there's no way, I mean, I don't care what you say, but for a first-year starter, there's no way to... You just don't know. Well, and you don't also don't know, I mean... I mean, he's been in the system for, well, you would say he's been in the system for a couple of years, but actually it's a new offensive coordinator, so how how much is this, how much carryover is going to be from the previous year's system and what they're bringing in with Chip Long. Is Chip Long going to have complete autonomy to run whatever he wants, yes, or is he going to yeah, have to merge? The big you don't know. Brian Kelly is how much control is he going to have right away? Because Brian then, Kelly you know, is like. When it comes to us playing them, I think the biggest thing is, you know, teams can say, all right, we're ready for the speed of the SEC, but you don't know it until you play it. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you're right. You can say that. I mean, but is there, like, this day and age with. With all the money that's pouring into all these different conferences and the facilities they're able to build and how a lot of these teams are recruiting, is there really that much of a difference between the SEC speed and speed like the ACC 
or the Big 12. Uh, you can ask the 2012 Notre Dame-Alabama team. Yeah, but that was 2012. I mean, but still look at it. I mean, when they faced some of these better teams, they were not putting up, you know, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be, you know, elitist and things, but if you look at the teams that they faced in 2016, I would probably take our defense over a majority of those teams, and they had trouble scoring against Navy. Had trouble scoring against Virginia Tech, who gave up quite a few points. Only scored 27 against USC, whose defense was not their strong point. Yeah, I mean, well, they scored 31 against Virginia Tech, 27 USC, 27 (laughs) Navy. I mean, they're not putting up huge numbers, but I mean, the only games they didn't really score many points, Stanford, who's been really good defensively for a long time. That's with an experienced quarterback in Deshaun Kaiser, also. True. Yeah, that's I mean, that's another true point there. I mean, look at look at Easton. I mean, you, you really rarely see a freshman quarterback come in there and make a huge imp- or you know a first time quarterback come in there and make an impact because they lack the experience. You know, as you saw, you can see many times they have to get the coverages down. They you know it's a learning experience, especially for the first three or four games. Yeah, I think well, I think Wimbush is going to be a redshirt junior. If I have that correct, it could be completely wrong. Yeah, but there. he doesn't have any, much experience. No, he does. I mean, he's got a, he's just got a, a little bit. He's got a little bit of time, garbage time on the field, but nothing extensive. But he has been there. He's been tutor, being tutored under Brian Kelly, whatever that's worth, for a couple years now. I, I, I honestly, I, I can't predict. I don't know. I, I don't want to sit here and act like I know what Brendan Wimbush is going to be. I know he was a top fifty recruit nationally when he came out of high school, according to the two four seven composite ratings, highly rated yeah, dual threat quarterback. Turned out those quarterbacks, and yet they've not done anything with them. Yeah, that, that and he, but he, he you're right. He, he does fit the kind of mold they've had going back with Everett Golson, Malik Zaire. He's more so like Sean Kaiser. He's a guy who's who's who can run, but is not a true dual threat guy. He can take off and do a couple things here and there, but he's not going to be a guy that you're going to basically build your entire offense around his ability to run the football like a Nick Marshall type guy or Cam Newton was once upon a time at Auburn. But he can do some things with his legs, um, and that's kind of fits the mold of what they've had recently. So on that hand, okay, it could, could be a nice, easy transition for them. But when you got, like you said, when a guy has never really played any extensive time at all, you just don't know what to expect. I would like to just sit here and tell you, I know what Brandon Wimbush is going to be this year, but I don't know. I mean, anyone knows. I'm sure Notre Dame is hopeful. and He'll probably be solid. But when we roll in there week two in a primetime game at night, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see. I mean, I think, I think that still remains to be seen. So for me, even though you have – a situation where they're loaded at skill positions, especially with their pass catchers, a veteran, talented offensive line, that's a good recipe usually, but with the unknown in the quarterback situation and a new offensive coordinator, I don't know what that spells for this team. I think a lot remains to be seen. I know you guys want, to, want us to be able to tell you, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend I do uh, know what's going to happen. But let's go ahead and look ahead specifically real quick here to our Week 2 game in South Bend. As we mentioned, like there's a certain degree of the unknown with this 2017 Notre Dame offense with a new quarterback, new offensive coordinator, but there's still several key pieces returning. So looking ahead, Kurt, how do we match up defensively against this Notre Dame offense? Um, I think the biggest thing that helps us is that I think we'll have a little bit of experience in the secondary. I think our linebacker core is going to be the biggest key. You know, we talk about the tight end. It's going to come down to matchups. You know, is people like Roquan or someone like him who's going to be matched up against him or who in the nickel and the dime uh, from the star position. I think it's going to come down to the linebacker and the DBs, really. I, I agree with you. That's going to come down to our ability to defend the pass, and that's what has me concerned. I would like it. I would be lying if I did not sit here and say I'm, I'm at least somewhat concerned about this game and this matchup. And here's the reason why. I love, I love our front seven. I love our linebackers. But when it comes to our corners against their wide receivers, I'm concerned. Uh, I do think it remains to be seen how good Wimish is going to be. But, man, if he has time 
and he puts because thing we haven't shown the ability the past couple seasons to really have a dynamic pass rush. So if he has time and he puts the ball in the vicinity of any of these receivers, you have to imagine their wide receivers with the length and height advantage they're going to have over our corners, they're going to win the majority of those battles. I mean, does that not concern you at all? I mean, yeah. I think about Malcolm Parrish coming in at maybe 5'9", five, 5'10", five, going against six foot five Equinemia St. Brown. Who's going to win that battle if it's a jump ball? He's got I'm no chance. I, you're, yeah. and you're right about that. But um, And then you go, DeAndre Baker is not much taller. We just, we just and You look at who we're recruiting at these positions uh, in the defensive backfield. We're trying to get longer. But we don't have all those guys right now. And the guys that we did bring in for this class, they're young. Are they going to be ready in week two to go out there and make an impact? And match with some of these receivers, I I don't know if I can say that with any confidence. So I think that's a major concern right now hitting this game. Can our secondary, particularly our corners, can they match up against the length and height of of those Notre Dame receivers? It's it's a concern of mine. I really I I, I do think this game is going to come down to at least defensively for us in the matchup. It's going to come down to whether we can rush the passer and keep an inexperienced quarterback off balance. And to do that. We need to control the run game to get them in obvious passing situations. So my question is, can we do either of those? Can we rush the passer, keep him off balance, and can we control the run game to get in those obvious passing situations where we can pin our ears back and come after him? Is I'll tell you who, who it's going to – there's two people, and it's going to come down to these two people, John Ledbetter and Trent Thompson. they got to dominate, man. It's going to come down to those two because I think John Ledbetter is going to be a huge difference maker this year. Um, as we saw in the spring game, the guy is really, really developing. If he can stay out of trouble this summer and come in there you know, from day one this this fall, I think he's going to be a difference maker for us. He, and, and the thing is, it's not only in the run game or the pass game. He's pretty balanced in both. Yeah, he's the complete package. And I, I think, I mean, for, you and I both heard, I mean, Ledbetter, he's going to stay out of trouble. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in that, right? Wouldn't you agree? I would point. like to think so. Yeah, I would like to think so. Um, but I'm with you. I mean, I think he's a, I think he's a monster. I think he's a, he's a star in the making if he can just keep his head on straight and stay healthy. I think if Trent can build off what he did last year at the end of the season, especially that that game against TCU in the bowl game, I, we can stop the run. If we can stop the run, then we get in those obvious pass situations. We kind of pin our ears back and give our pass rushers a little bit of a better chance to get back there against an offensive line that doesn't really do a great job, at least didn't last year, protecting the quarterback. But it's going to be an interesting matchup because they, they do have a really good offensive line that's fairly proficient as run blockers. McGlinchey, Nelson, really good players. And I am I think you're right. That matchup, Ledbetter against McGlinchey, they'll be matched up on each other quite a bit. I think that's going to be something to watch and really pay attention to for, for the entire game. But right now, the uh, other side of the ball, that was really the popular scapegoat, scapegoat for Notre Dame's troubles last year. Uh, but the numbers tell a little bit of a different story when you're looking at Notre Dame's defense from last season. Now, as of the offense, Notre Dame fired Brian Van Gorder and his porn stash early in the season last year. So they hired Mike Elko away from Wake Forest to be their new defensive coordinator. Uh, they do return seven starters and a lot of contributors from last season. So it's going to be interesting to see what they're able to put on the field here in 2017. But let's quickly run through their 2016 defensive numbers, which might tell a little different story than popular opinion might dictate. Uh, total defense last year, they were actually pretty solid. They were 42nd nationally in total defense, which you would not think. You think about all the, the stories you heard about Van Gordon, how terrible they were, and all the, the controversy swirling there. They were 42nd nationally, only giving up 379 yards a game. Uh, rush defense was bad, though. That, there's no getting around it. They were 72nd nationally against the run, giving up 182 yards a game on average. Pass defense, though, they were, they were pretty salty. 21st nationally against the pass, giving up 196 yards a game. Scoring defense, uh, right around the middle of the pack. Uh, 61st nationally, giving up 27.8 points a game. 
Here's where they were good, though. They were really good, like I said, against the pass and limiting explosive plays. They were 12th nationally in giving up plays of 21 yards or 20 yards or more. They were actually tied with us in that category. So that's a key for any defense. Uh, power success rate, this is uh, on third and fourth down, two yards or less to go. How many times were they stopping offenses from converting those third and fourth down opportunities? They were 46th nationally. They stopped them at a rate of 65%. Stuff rate, which again on the defense side now, this is how many times basically their ability to, to disrupt plays behind line of scrimmage and, and to tackle them behind line of scrimmage. So they are 54th national. They they, they uh, got tackles for loss on 20% of their plays, tackles for loss and or sacks. Uh, Justin Sack rate, they were terrible trying to rush the quarterback. They were 115th nationally in adjusted sack rate. And to give you just an idea how bad that is, when you're looking at adjusted sack rate, the number, uh, anything above 100 in adjusted sack rate is really good. 100 is, is average. Anything below 100 is bad. Their number last year in adjusted sack rate was 64.2. So they were well below the 100 mark. So they were very, very, very bad rushing the passer. Uh, so this is a team that, that has some strengths, but there's also some gaping weaknesses there. They could not rush the passer. They couldn't stop the run. So if, Kurt, if we combine those numbers with what we've seen on tape, what are the strengths of this defense? Uh, the strengths are the linebacker core, and, you know, the DB core is kind of deep, but, you know, they've got some good players here and there. It's really a lot of unproven talent there. Yeah, they, well, they did, like I said, they did a really good job defending the pass and limiting explosive plays, whether that's through the air or on the ground. Uh, and see, I think it's one of the biggest things is their defense reminds me of what Jeremy Pruitt did here at Georgia, where yeah. he doesn't really rush the passer. He just plays more of like a, you know, to protect the DBs. Yeah, kind of a muddle rush. Yeah, trying to keep the quarterbacks contained there yeah i mean that's i think there's there's something to that when you watch them play uh but they i would also say they don't have really any dynamic pass rush or really anyone dynamic up front no, at i mean all. i'll say this that's why you know we'll probably touch on it but i think our our that's going to be where we're going to attack them is at the last scrimmage because if they're 11 returning defense alignment not one single person recorded a sack and they only had they could the whole 11 combined for only five and a half tackles for loss that spells good news for us. Oh yeah, man, that's that's a good, good see, that's stat, the thing, there, you know, dude. Especially when you come to it, they'll, they'll try they'll try to be like some of these other teams and try to load the box. But I think if that's the case, then you know a second year quarterback, a more you know more comfortable system, opens up other things for him. Yeah, it does. If if we can if we can actually run the ball against that front, which if you look at last year, they were pretty 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 bad against the run last year. But going back to their strength in in, in uh defending the pass I think they might actually be even a little bit better this year because those numbers last year they had three true freshmen starting and playing a lot in the secondary last season and they still finished 21st nationally in pass defense and did a great job limiting big plays so you'd only imagine with those guys having a year of experience under their belt jumping into their sophomore seasons and having a lot of other guys come back they I should be just as good if not better I really do have to question some a little bit of that defensive back though I mean you look at it there's at least three games right here when you look at the 2016 schedule, and actually probably closer to four, that they play teams that didn't really pass. I mean, you look at the NC State game, that that's a that's a washout. They play Navy. Right, that's that, that's they a really Navy. good point. They played Army, um, um, and Michigan State was not a very big pass-happy team, and even Duke also. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point there, if you look at that, because you're right, I mean, NC you, State you game. you got to think about the teams that pass decently put up big numbers. I mean, Texas, 50 points on them. Um uh, let's see, look here. Miami still put 27. I mean, they were giving up uh, 27 points, or they gave up 28th in Navy, 34 to Virginia Tech, and 45 to USC. And those are teams, you know, 
that are, you know, other than USC, Virginia Tech a little, but they have more of a dual-threat quarterback system. Those teams are not really known for passing other than Texas and USC, and they gave up big numbers to those teams. Yeah, I'm pulling up the numbers here. Shane Buchel and his first career start as a true freshman was 16 of 26 for 280 yards against this Notre Dame defense. And they also had the uh, the swoops who came in. Yeah. Her, so. And if you're right. So, and if you go back to that, uh, these are great points, man. If you go back to that game against NC State that we watched, they literally could not throw the football. I think NC State, I'm pulling the numbers up here real quick. NC State, I believe, had like less than, yeah, they had 41 yards passing in that game. So that's a com- that's going to completely skew your numbers. And then you're yeah, right, they Navy, play Navy and Army. And Army. Or triple option teams, I mean. Yeah. Navy in that game had, let's see here, Navy had 48 yards passing. And beat them. And beat them. They just ran the, because again, they, they ran for like, 320 yards on them because they, Notre Dame can't stop the run. Now, I mean, stopping the triple option is a little bit different than stopping your traditional run game. I'm looking at Army here. They beat Army 44 to 6, not surprisingly, but Army in that game threw for 13 yards. So there yeah, is three you know, games we right there. About the defense, but I think it's also skewed by the teams they played. That's a great point. I mean, that's three games under 50 yards passing, two of them because they're option offenses and one because it, it was a hurricane. And you look at Stanford. Stanford scored 17, but they are not. They were not a, a powerful offense. Oh, the, coming into that game, because I watched the game a couple of times, and uh, the announcers kept mentioning, I think Stanford had scored like a combined 13 points in the two games before their game against Notre Dame. And they had that's when they still had... They made a change at quarterback, but at this point, they were still playing Ryan Burns before Keller Chris came in, and Burns threw for 120 yards against Notre Dame, which is about what Ryan Burns did all year for Stanford. So I think you're right. Peel back the layers a little bit there, and maybe maybe their past defensive numbers were somewhat skewed by some of the teams they were playing, some of the situations they played in. So that's, that's fair. Um, and last year, that guy named Drew Tranquil, uh, who was a safety for them, he, but he was a very much a liability against the pass last season at safety, but... He was really and good at run support. He's going to be moving to outside linebacker. Yeah, he's well. He's going to move the, this Mike Elko. His defense has like a hybrid rover position, where it's like part strong safety, part linebacker. Like Ole Miss. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like Ole Miss, exactly. Um, so he's playing that position this year. So it's going to be. I mean, that probably fits him a little better because he is much better in the box around the line of scrimmage than he is in the in, in the defensive backfield because he is absolutely a liability. If you get it matched up yes, on, they're also going to be relying on people like uh, their cornerback slash nickel Sean Crawford. The dude missed all of 15 with an ACL injury and then tore his Achilles in September of last year. That's pretty much two washed-out seasons yeah. for him. Yeah. Uh, there's some question marks back there. I mean, they, they're the, have... safety, the safety position is going to have very little, if none, experience. Yeah, especially now with Tranquil moving that rover position. They're gonna, yeah, you're right. They're going to have very little experience back there. So while the numbers might look pretty solid, maybe if you're, you know, if Jacob Eason's ready to take that next step, maybe our receiver's ready to take that next step, maybe that is something that we can potentially – exploit if we're able to run the football and get in those advantageous passing situations. You know, when you're in second and short, you want to take a shot down the field, maybe we can hit something down there, maybe. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think there's there's an opportunity there. Uh, but on the flip side, let's talk, we, we mentioned a couple of other weaknesses, but what are uh, what are you looking at here as some areas that we can really exploit offensively on this Notre Dame defense? Oh, I think right away defensive line. I mean, the fact is, even with only five and a half tackles for losses, that helps us running the ball. Yeah, I mean, dude... I'll make this quick. In short, their front seven just isn't very good. All right, I know that's not super insightful, but when you watch them play and you look at the numbers, the numbers back up what you see on tape. They're just not good. They don't have any game records. They have no one on that for, in that entire front seven, really, including their linebackers, 
who, as an offense coordinator, you're going to look at it and say, yeah, I got a game plan around this guy. I got to build my entire game plan around him and try to neutralize him. They don't have any game changers like that. Niles Morgan is, is a good player at inside linebacker. He should be better than he is because he looks the part. Much He reminds me a lot of Lorenzo Carter. He looks the part. He looks like he should be a monster out there. But he's a little stiff. He's not that aggressive. He's not that violent out there at the inside linebacker position. He doesn't get off blocks all that great. Jerry Tillery's guy at nose guard, 6'6", 308. And, and you know, while you're going over this, I think it all, you know, we're talking about the running game, but I also think it helps the passing game. I mean, some of the biggest things that we've struggled with, especially last year, I don't know how much we're struggling this year, but was, you know, some of these stud defensive ends, but they don't have people like that. So it's going to no, help our pass protection. The only guy they have, and he, he hasn't done much to date, but if you look at some of their, if you read their message boards, if you read some and of their Alex articles. Morgan. Well, Niles Morgan, absolutely an inside linebacker. They're, they think he's going to have a big st- take a big step this year. And also a guy named Dalen Hayes, who's a, a defensive innocent. He's the pass rusher. Uh, he's he's going to be a rising sophomore, 6'3", 255. They are high on him. If you read some of their spring game uh, articles, you know all the the uh, newspapers up there, they're high on his potential. And he, he has flashed some. When you watch him, he flashes a little bit. But he hasn't proven it, man. He hasn't done it yet. So maybe he'll step up this year and be a, and be a stud. But we haven't seen that happen yet. So it's hard to say it's going to for sure happen. It might, but it also might not. They just, they just and so I, they I don't think it's just, I mean, we've seen too, especially this offense, if you give Eason a little bit of time to throw, you're going to help. It gives him, a, you know, I think he tear anyone apart with a few seconds to throw. And that's going to be the case. I think their defensive line really is going to open things up for our offense. Yeah, and I, I think it goes back to being able to run the football. Like, you know. Well, and, I, and see, people got to remember this year that. Nick Chubb right now is going to be is at this point coming back a hundred a true one hundred percent. He's going to be old Nick Chubb. Yeah, you know, people inside the Busmere building are raving about how this guy looks like he's ready to go off. You know, last year they thought he was ready, or they knew he wasn't truly ready. But I think this year he they they realized this kid he's on a mission. I mean, him and Sony, this is their is last it. chance for money. This is it. This is it. And Nick, I mean, it sure is about money for Nick to a degree, but it's also about more than that for Nick. Nick, Nick wants to do well, yeah, it right I mean, for Georgia. It's always about more, but at the same time, the reason they came back was money. For sure. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, well, I guess for this Notre Dame defense and in Canada, the next step, I'm in wait and see mode. I, for me, again, kind of goes back to like the same situation with Brandon Wimbush. There's no way to know if they're going to improve there on the defensive line this, this year yeah, until we see him on the field. With the defensive coordinator, he can only do so much because his players aren't in there either. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean we, we saw that last year with our defense to a degree. Yeah, I mean, especially when they, you know, they'll probably want to. What I saw at Wake was more of like a havoc defense. They do a re- they're really aggressive. You're right. Uh, they like they like to get speed on the field, like, like yeah, with a, with the rover position. Yeah, they don't have. Yeah, I mean, I think Drew Tranquil would be a pretty good fit for that rover spot, but he's not a dominant Defensive athlete. Line wise, though, is the thing. Oh yeah, they don't have game changers. They don't have them. They don't have them right now. So I'm in wait and see with this defense. I think they could look. Chances are they'll probably be moderately better, uh, but I think it's going to be marginal. I, I don't think they're going to. I don't think you can expect in year one under new defense coordinator with a lot of the same talent. Yeah, they'll all be a year older, but. You can't expect them to make a huge jump in year one. Maybe it'll happen, but I don't think you can sit here right now and say it's going to happen. I just I don't see that happening right now. So as much as their offense scares me with some of the playmakers they have out wide in the matchup there, I feel that good about our matchup against this defense. Because if we're able to run the ball against a defense who couldn't stop the run last year and get us into situations where it's second and third and short, that's going to allow Eason to be a little more comfortable in the pocket, give him a little more time because you got the throw of the run there also. Because that was part of the issue last year. We couldn't run the ball because our offensive line was terrible. 
And so we were constantly in these third and long situations where defenses knew we were going to pass the ball, so they pinned their ears back and just shot heat-seeking missiles at a true freshman quarterback who didn't know what to do half the time. So I think we're going to be in a little bit of a different situation in this game against Notre Dame. So, I don't know. I, I Would you say that this matchup between our offense and their defense favors our offense right now? Yeah. Yeah, I just, I mean, to kind of sum it up here, I think our weaknesses, I think their weaknesses dovetail perfectly with what we want to do offensively and what gave us trouble last year. We want to run the football and throw play action off that, but we had trouble doing that last year because our line couldn't protect Easton. But I don't think it's going to be as much of a problem against Notre Dame unless they show some serious improvement. All right, uh, so to bring this Notre Dame preview to a conclusion, as we did with our Appalachian State preview, we're going to go to the confidence meter here. For our new listeners, for those uh, that didn't catch the Appalachian State preview show, which you, which we do encourage you to go check out, can't sleep on those guys. Uh, but with our confidence meter, we're simply declaring how confident we are right now in winning this game on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being a lead pipe solid 100% in the bag win, and a 1 being the we have no chance in hell to win this game. So, Kurt, give me a number and tell me why. I'm going to say six. I think that we are favored. I think there's just a lot of question marks on both teams and both sides of the ball for both teams. So I think it's going to just really take some time. Dude, I hate to agree with you because I know people out there want to hear people argue on these kind of shows, but i, I got to be intellectually honest. I, that's exactly what I have listed here. I, I'm at a six. I, it's To me, this is close to a toss-up game uh, by virtue of the fact that it's at night at Notre Dame they want some. They want to kind of redeem themselves on the national spot in the national spotlight. But we have more talent overall. You can't escape. Them. They have some really good players. I mean, Equinemius Saint Wrong, I said, is a scary weapon at wide receiver. All the wide receivers. I mean, they get, that's a matchup that I do not like right now. Alize Max a really good player. They got really good players up front on the offensive line. Um, but saying that, yeah, they have talent. They're Notre Dame, of course, they have talent. But we have more talent overall. If you look at the entire roster. Uh, but as I said, this this is a home game. It's at night in a showcase game. Where they want to show the entire nation their back. So for that reason, though, I do think we're better. If this was at home, if this was in Athens, I would say I would probably put this at a solid seven. You would you be with me on that? Yeah. But I I don't want to say it's a complete like a five for me. It's a complete toss. But I have no idea. It could go either way, just depending on who comes to play and how the balances roll. But I think we're a little bit better than them. I think someone give us a slight better chance right now than just a straight up 50-50 shot and put it at a six. Um, but I mean, this, this is, guys, this is a game that we absolutely could lose. And, and I caution those of you out there who are looking at Notre, Notre Dame's four and eight record from last season and just saying, "Oh hell yeah, we're going to beat this team." They were four and eight last year. They're terrible. Brian Kelly's on the hot season get fired. I caution you because I know you can say they are who what the record says they are, but. I think, actually, talent-wise, they're a little bit better than that. I think Kurt was right saying they're more around an 8-7 to seven win team. And if we don't come to play and we take them lightly, they could beat us, especially considering it's on the road at night. So I caution you to not just completely disregard this football team. You know, they were back, Going back to 2015, they were a 10-2 team, six points or four points away from being in the college football playoffs. So that's our Notre Dame preview for you guys. I cannot wait for this game to get here. Kurt, are you still going? I know you were talking about it. Yeah, I'm trying. Dude, you got to get it set up, man. Can't be no trying. You got to get it done, dude. Hit me up after the show. I'll get you set up on it. Um, but yeah, so I'm sure we'll see a lot of you guys up there. I mean, we estimates say upwards near 20,000 plus Georgia fans are expected to be up there. So can't wait, guys. It's going to be an awesome once-in-a-lifetime type experience for us. One more quick reminder for you guys today before we get out of here. Jump on our Twitter account, at Glory underscore UGA, and vote in the poll we have running right now regarding... 
how you guys feel about our chances against Notre Dame in that early season matchup in September. We'll definitely look at what you guys have to say, and we'll talk about it a little bit at the beginning of our next show. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Check back with us later, uh, actually next week, and uh, we'll have some good content for you guys. We'll have uh, our Mississippi State preview, a lot of good stuff coming up the rest of the summer. So I know it's the interminable summer months of the offseason here, but we will have you guys covered all offseason. Keep checking back with us. And as always, guys, go dogs.